Why the church? A lot of people are asking the question these days about the the relevancy of the church as we think about uh, human society. That passage that was just read is probably one of the best passages on the dimensions of the church. What makes a church a church? And they started out wonderfully in the book of Acts, empowered by the Spirit, realizing the, the resurrection of Jesus as it catapulted them to be a community of faith that really impacted their world. And you have teachings that went on. It was very important for them to understand the teachings of the apostles who had been and seen Jesus. They spent time together in prayer. They had a community life that they shared together as they shared their communion together. There was a sense that the Holy Spirit was at work in their midst. And there was a wonderful spirit of generosity that permeated the church. They got off to a really great start. But as we know, the writings of the books in the in the New Testament, many of them are written to churches who stumbled, who had issues, who had problems. And so they got great out of the starting gate, but over time they had to deal with issues. And you see that in the book of Revelation to the churches that are there. And so we ask that question, why the church? In the Old Testament, Israel was God's instrument to try to show forth his greatness to the world. All the advantages Israel had, and there were many, Described by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Yes, they had tremendous advantages, but the point was God wanted to use them as his instruments to show forth his greatness to touch the world. Now we look at the Old Testament and the practical realities. How well did they do? Well, it doesn't seem like they did very well, did they? Israel struggled over and over again with not being the representative of God in the world. And so we have to ask the question about the church today. And the church is the primary means that God is using to build his church. He doesn't have another plan. He doesn't have another plan. And he says, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God is building his church all around the world. It might not have its prominence from the top down, but we see on the grassroots level many, many people coming to faith in Christ all throughout the world. The institutional church is an easy target. But we need to remember that regardless, all churches are somewhat messy places. By their very nature, they're going to be messy places because we in our lives have issues. And we in our lives are in process of growth and we're all in the process of growth. And so as we do, we have to recognize that that isn't always a nice, clean process. It often is quite a messy place and a messy process. And we also realize that the centerpiece of God's, of Satan's attack is the church of Jesus Christ. We also have to live out values in a culture that might not espouse the values that we value, and therefore, we find ourselves to be an easy target. There is no special form, per se, for the, what a church is to look like. There are certain functions a church needs to be doing, but they, the, the whole structure of the church was in development in the book of Acts. But there are some things. There are churches that are various sizes and various shapes. We have churches that are under 25, thousands of them in China when I was there. Under 25, because if it's over 25, it's considered a meeting in China. And you can't have meetings publicly. So you stay under 25. We met one night with two of these fellows, and they they managed 2,000 house churches. Two guys. That expression of the church is quite different than in the Western culture, our culture, where... We have churches that are, are, have buildings and all the infrastructure that goes with it as we, that we say we want some benefits from the culture. And so the, the church takes all kinds of sizes and all kinds of shapes. But Jesus had a view of the church. 
Did you realize in the book of Matthew, Jesus gave a view of how we ought to live in the community together? And it's one of those core teaching passages of Jesus. There were five of them. And Matthew 18 is that passage. And he wants us to understand the heart and spirit of the church. So he gives, he gives us some, some dimensions of the church that are really important. First of all, the third time in the book of Matthew, he uses the imagery of children in various strategic locations. It's not that, that Jesus loves children as he does, but children become a model, a model of their interaction, of the a mindset of children is, is, is helpful to us to understand the issue of faith. Humble yourself like a child, he says, in order to enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean simplistic, but there is a faith that children have unless it's, unless it's violated in some way, which is terrible, but there's a faith that they have and it's a humility that's required to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God in order to be part of this kingdom that he is building. And the imagery of the children is powerful and important. He also is very concerned that the church doesn't mess, or people don't mess with my children, as it says in, in Matthew chapter 18. Don't mess with my children. And what he's getting at is they're very concerned that people will come along with false teachings and steer the church away from the important teachings of the apostles. And even from the very earliest time, the church was under assault. And he just says, don't mess with my children because I'm protective of my children. And he says to the church, we ought to be protective of God's people and people that come to our spiritual home come because we don't want them to be steered in a wrong direction by all kinds of teaching, false teachings that arise in culture. And so don't mess with them. We must keep ourselves true to the teachings of the scriptures and the teachings of the apostles. He also says we ought to be rescue those who are lost and rescue those who drift away. I'm not sure in this context of Matthew 18 if he's talking about in the context of Christian community when people just seem to, to kind of fade away or they kind of, they kind of drift away. And we ought to have concern for those who, who find themselves lost and they find themselves drifting away. And as a church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be concerned about those folks and what we can do as Paul talks about in other pla in places to, to surround them. Encourage them. Give them strength. But also Jesus came to seek lost people. The one sheep that's gone, that's lost. And he wants us to care. He wants us to deeply care. And he wants us to, to proclaim and live the, the life-changing message of Christ. Have Jesus' heart for lost people. Kevin Harley makes a very interesting paragraph with some statements on reaching lost people. He says, if all we do is offer acts of service with no witness to the person of Jesus Christ, we are only offering temporary help. Our helpful actions and service are never enough to save people. Our kindness will never replace a clear presentation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our service projects will never bring someone to repenting, confessing their sin, embracing Jesus as the lover and forgiver of their soul and the leader of their life. We are simply not good enough, folks. Actions of service are needed and deeply important. But words spoken with grace and charity, infused with the good news of Jesus, and led by the Holy Spirit, do what our actions alone could never accomplish. We care deeply about lost people because they so desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that we proclaim. He goes on in that passage to talk about the importance of caring enough to confront institutionally as a church and leadership he talks about but the principle is we ought to care with each other enough to confront when we need to 
We don't steer away from confrontation when we need to confront for the well-being of that person or for the well-being of our, our, our community of faith. And Jesus wants us to do it, and he wants us to do that and confront when it's needed because we care about each other. And it's rather interesting, the last dimension he brings in is the importance of forgiveness. He spends the majority of that passage of Matthew 18 to say we have to be people of forgiveness. How many times the question was raised to Jesus? Seventy times seven. We ought to be people are willing to forgive because in community, in community, we know in community that there's times where we hurt each other. There's times when we don't think, we just find ourselves at odds with one another. And, and, then, and often we find ourselves in the need of restoration and, and forgiveness. And so he wants us to understand that. Humility, the importance of keeping ourselves clear in what we believe and what we live out. We need to be deep concerned about lost people. We, our lives will be characterized by caring deeply. We must care enough to say to one another, even though it's difficult, I'm going to have a conversation with you, the person in our lives that we need to. And of course, folks, we've got to be very, very quick to forgive as we live in community. And that's Jesus' view. That's what he sees important as he unpacks the life of church life. Amen. I'm going to ask some people to come on up, some folks that I've asked to come on up and share some stories. If they come up, and I'll move the stools out here. We're going to have to do it by age. Whoops, we're, we're kind of doing this by age. Yeah, I think you're older than... I think, I think you go there, and I think you go here? Yeah. Oops, oops, oops. And then who's at the end? Me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, folks, for your willingness to share. I have uh, two questions, but essentially they're, they're kind of um, uh, circle each other. They kind of, and so I would like to ask them. Oh, thank you, Alicia. You'll be ready with that, okay. The, the questions are, in light of the church, why the church? There's two things I want you to share, and some of you have experiences in your life that I want you to share that you've ex difficult experiences as this. Two questions. How has the church helped you grow? You might want to speak to that issue. But also, how has the church or how people have people been there at your time of greatest need? And so I think it would be good to, to unpack that a bit in, as examples of that in community. And I know, Linda, you're going through difficult times. Yes, I am. And you, do you have a Kleenex with you? I shoved up my sleeve. I am my mother's daughter. <laughs> Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit, would you? The your, difficult times? Yeah, tell us a little bit better how it's helped you grow, either one. Okay. Um, maybe I'll just start with the difficult times, and then I'll get it over with. The church has come alongside of us. It started, we came here, I don't know what, I don't know, about 14 years ago. And about 12 years ago, my brother was dying of cancer, and the church was putting together a directory, and Nan Peterson asked to get me on the schedule, our family on the schedule. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't even begin to think about how to get my family all together with their schedules to get a photo taken with my brother dying of cancer. And she said in the hallway, she goes, let's pray. And she just prayed with me right there in the hallway. I didn't, I hardly knew Nan, but from that we developed such a great friendship. And that has happened to us time after time, um, not just with my brother, but my dad when he died of cancer. I have some daughters, I have crazy daighters, if you haven't met them, but we had a preemie, he was um, 10 weeks early. Um, we have a daughter with significant mental health issues. We have a daughter with leukemia. 
and the church has come alongside of us with all of that. People I don't even know very well will stop and pray with me. Um, most recently, it's our, my husband Rob was diagnosed with a very aggressive thyroid cancer. And, um, that one's hard because he's the spirit of our family and, and also the spirit of this church. I mean, people know Rob that I don't even, I can't even believe that I know him. Josh Benson is such a, a special person to Rob. From the young to the old, Rob is a real special guy. So this church has come alongside of us with meals and visits and texts and prayers. And you'll never know how much that means to us. Your turn. <laughs> well, our story is a little bit different. Um, there's many of us that have come from a church that we had to close. And um, as far as being in the covenant, that's all I've ever known. From, uh, well, as far back as I can remember, I've always been in the covenant church. And so we searched for many, uh, many weeks, many, well, almost a year. And uh, we came here one time and uh, was introduced to some folks. And, uh, of course, we ran into Linda. And we have other friends and family here. And um, we didn't come back for a while. We had kind of just kept looking. And it's very easy to get into that not looking and just not go to church. It, it, was, it could have been very easy. And we did that a few times. Um, and we just decided to come back and try here one more time. And I'll tell you, the one thing that happened for me is I walked through that door and somebody saw me and came up. And it's probably been, I suppose, almost a year at that point, uh, had come up and said my name. Um, that was huge for us, or for me, at least. And then to see all the other families from Good Shepherd here and um, all of you guys and uh, it just seemed like family. So here we are. Yeah, for me, the community of the church uh, is a big deal of why church. Um, Friday morning, there's some guys who get together as part of the men's ministry down in the fellowship hall um, to uh, kind of process life. Um, what is God trying to tell us? Uh, about uh, life of faith, how does that apply to you know being a dad, um, being an employee, being a husband, um, and uh, process life together that way? And it's just a bunch of good guys, and so would invite um, any guys who would be interested. Uh, that's a great time of getting together and um, talking through faith, and that's helped me to grow a great deal. Uh, another aspect of community for me is uh, teaching high school, Sunday school, that uh, my wife and I do, and that's a fun community. Uh, again, great people, uh, fun to talk through you know, what's going on at school, uh, activities, um, but then again, processing, uh, you know, what does uh, life of faith look like? What does that mean from a practical standpoint? Uh, and that's been uh, just a, a real meaningful time for me. 
Yeah, for me, I think um, when I think of why the church, I actually think of something that Mark referred to even earlier today. Um, when he was talking about coming around and just being reminded sometimes um, by how messy life can be and by the fact that we're in process. I think it's, it's very easy to, if you're not in church and being reminded of God's grace and just his love for us and, um, and all that, it becomes very easy to think of uh, you know, needing to reach perfection uh, to come to God, needing to have things all together. And I think for me, being at Roseville Covenant, it's been great to see just in the teaching and seeing different people up front talking, but also sharing stories and conversations with people and being invited into other conversations with people, um, just getting the chance to hear uh, people reaffirm that life is going to be messy and God doesn't call us to perfection. He calls us to be in process with him and to be walking in faith with him. So. I think just getting to hear a lot of people share that same message in their different ways from up front and from out in the foyer and and, in all those different forums has been really important for me. Uh, Yeah, one of our, um, my especially, but our difficult times last year, uh, just over a year ago, um, was four weeks after our daughter was born um, having repeated uh, mastitis. Um, so being put on bed rest with a four-week-old, um, with Sam needing to go back to work, and um, me having no idea how to do anything and panicking about everything um, was was real rough. Um, but then people kept showing up. So Colleen showed up for uh, I don't know how many hours in that couple of weeks. And Megan was our first uh, babysitter while Sam and I went to the hospital. Um, it was a great date. Um, and then Bobby showed up, uh, Claire Fred showed up with everything that Target has to offer for that particular problem. Um, but everyone uh, rallied in people whose names I, I still am not even completely sure of who all brought meals. Um, but in that time where I thought people were kind of past helping out, um, that's, when, that's when the church really showed up for us. Um, and that was also in a time... Uh, we just found out that our only family in Minnesota was going to be leaving Minnesota. Um, so I was kind of in a state of like, we can't do this by ourselves. Um, no one around me is doing this by themselves. Everyone else has family. Um, but God really showed us in that space that we do have family here. And um, yeah, the church can show up in huge ways. Um, and that really taught me a lot about just the gift of presence. Um, obviously, people were helping in really practical ways. Um, but as I was encouraged and asked to come and join on Wednesday nights, the, the group of, of women who um, is called The Gathering over in the cafe, um, that's been a space for me to get to pour out um, some of what I learned about just being present and also just to continue to gain um, from that community, to gain uh, just more about the stories of others, like Sam was saying, just to be reminded of how um, God accepts us as we are, and we come together in community um, to to be who we are and show how God is loving us. It's great. Now, let's go down the line and give the names. I'm sorry, we should have done that first. I'm Sarah Rima. I'm Sam Rima. I'm Dave Swenson. I'm Keith Swanson. Linda Strandland. Okay. Colleen, why don't you come up? You've been working on an initiative, and for this, folks, you can, you can, you can stay for it. 
this segment here is going to be asked a question. You guys can just listen close at hand, okay? You got to you. Yeah, the old ones wait here with me, okay? Um, so as a leader in the church and watching the church grow and change, um, a couple months ago, one of the things that um, has just become really obvious is both some of the um, uniqueness of different generations um, and also the need for us to grow in our um, competency of what that means as a church community and grow in understanding. And I saw needs for us to be bridges um, across generations rather than allow some of those differences to divide us. And so there's a group of um, us that got together and really just started talking about it. And personally, I was ready to like start a bunch of things like, let's do this. And it became apparent that we just needed to spend some time learning from one another. Um, and so Sam and Sarah and Dave have been a part of that group. And it's really been a gift to me to know that there's a place in the church where that conversation is happening. So um, I just wanted to ask them, what drew you into this conversation together? Um, and uh, what, that's, what has that meant for you? So Dave, since you have the mic, you can, you can start. Yeah, and talking through some of this, um, you know, I feel strongly about having two boys at uh, the young adult stage, um, and then the teenage years are very fresh, uh, not very long ago, um, and uh, just feeling the importance of that um, to support, uh, you know, our teenagers and young adults, and. Uh, it's a challenging stage of life, maybe in particular, um, and just how do we, uh, you know, focus on that and you know do all that we can to support uh, people at that age of life. You ask what drew us into that conversation. First, I'll say Colleen drew us into that conversation, <laughs> um, it, but it was a great one. I think when Colleen reached out and kind of explained here's what we're going to be talking about, and um, here's the book that we're going to be reading. I think it immediately came to mind for me because I've seen so many churches in so many places where there is a big generational gap, and it's difficult to know how do we bridge that connection. So that was just a fun um, challenge to get to talk about and something I think is present in a lot of churches. Um, and so, yeah, I think the thing that uh, stuck out to me or that so far has been a great experience for me has just been having the chance to sit in a space that is, you know, just a few of us where we can have pretty open and honest dialogue about, you know, what it is that we feel and experience as different generations in the church. And that's not a conversation that can happen easily. Um, it's not a question that can be really addressed or answered from up front very well. Uh, because a lot of it comes down to personal experience. So just getting the chance to hear from people of different generations in a space where we can talk about that and can ask questions has been a really great way to, I think, just have a bit more, um, not only respect for, but just an appreciation of the differences that we all face in our day-to-day -day and, and kind of how that colors how we see the church and how we experience God in a lot of different ways. I'm still part of my answer, so I'm reformulating. Um, no, I think even just in that group, it is uh, a helpful reminder that we can have conversations where we're learning across generations from each other um, and not getting too scared away by each other. Um, 
I think there's often a sense of defensiveness and needing to defend uh, where we come from, where our generation comes from, why other people misunderstand. Um, but really, it's a it's a conversation that's helped to build compassion um, across generations, and especially as uh, churches change and shift and um, and change is hard for various people for various reasons. Just to be able to to listen um, and to compute kind of what that means for another person um, that's different from what it means to me has been really helpful. But again, just a really good reminder in that space to to know that that conversation can happen and can be healthy and that the hope that that can expand and that more pieces of our, our church can look like that and hold those conversations is really encouraging. We've called ourselves the Better Together team <laughs> because I think we want to, as we have these conversations, um, we want it to come from a place that really believing that um, when we can span generations, we're better together um, and that we can be a real gift um, to each other. And so the conversation that some of us have been able to have have been around not just you know, a conversation, but about certain principles that we believe are really important to our church moving forward. And um, it's been good to digest those as a group together and learn from one another as we continue to want to share those on a more um, kind of in a broader space. Um, so there, there is a group of people having a conversation about that. We wanted you to know about it um, because um, we hope that you'll hear about it in the future. But um, if you're interested at all um, in that, if you kind of, if that like ticks something with you, I would love to talk with you a little bit more um, about what that looks like. Okay. Thank you. I guess that's, that's all.